All right. And the rest of you who are in here with me, if you want to move forward some, you're welcome to do it. Uh, I know I say that every week, but you're so far back there and you don't have to be. Um, some of you just like it back there. So let's stand together and we're going to read the Word of the Lord. And I love this series. You know, I think I said Sunday, um, the Word of God is amazing to me because you can read the same passages. There you are. Did you teach down there? Teach a class? But I know you were about the Lord's business, right? I know. All right, good. I tell you, everybody miss you. We're excited about the building, aren't we? Anything you want to say about it before I pray? It's keeping us awake at night. It is. I went to sleep, I'm not even going to tell you when, last night, thinking about the building, thinking about the change. Yeah. All right. I'm amazed at the word of the Lord, how you can read the same passage hundreds of times, and then you read it, and suddenly it opens up to you in a way you've never seen it before. And this series on the names of God has really just blessed me. And the one tonight is powerful. The Lord who sanctifies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we pray that you will bless it to our hearts. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Build us up in your word and help us to understand the width and the breadth and the height and the depth of your name. For that will build our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, don't sit down yet. I'm going to get you to read this one verse with me tonight. We're on part eight. Jehovah Makedesh, Jehovah who sanctifies. Let's read this together. Leviticus 27 to 8. Are you ready? Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am Jehovah your God. I am Jehovah which sanctifies you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, Jehovah Makedesh. That's Hebrew, of course. Um, but let's uh, do a little recap, because now this is week eight. And we've got a few to go. As a matter of fact, we're going to carry this series into the new building. But that's a great way to go in. So far, we've looked at seven of the names of God revealed in Scripture. And if you want to read them with me, why don't you go ahead and do it? They are Elohim, Jehovah, El Shaddai, Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rophi, and Jehovah Nissi. Seven names. Now, we pointed out in the beginning that the revealed and can I just insert here, in, in two more weeks, there's no more of this. No more shaking. One woman said, I get seasick watching you up there. That thing shakes. It's going to be on PowerPoint. And I'm going to be able to walk around while somebody else puts it up here. Hallelujah. That, that's free. And those of you in the radio audience can't appreciate that. If you were here, you'd appreciate it. All right. We pointed out in the beginning that the revealed names of God followed a purpose and a progression. Remember me saying that? That it's not accidental. There is, a, there is an incremental progression with these names. And you'll see as you study the Word that they were designed to meet the developing spiritual life and need of the people. So every time God revealed Himself by another name, then it was God... Uh, 
meeting them at the point of their need as their spiritual life developed. So they were growing as each name was revealed. They were growing in revelation. They were growing uh, in their spiritual progression, though they had a lot of failure, a lot of setbacks, a lot of disappointments, even a captivity one time, yet they were growing. Now, our intent with this series is that we would grow with these names, that we will see the progression. Now, let me just give you an example. Genesis, the book of beginnings, chronicles the fall of man into sin. It therefore also reveals the provision of redemption from sin under the name of God, Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. That's what that was all about. When Abraham saw the ram caught in the thicket, when he had almost sacrificed his son, and he saw that ram, grabbed that ram, Isaac was delivered, it was there that Abraham called him Jehovah Jireh. What was he saying? God will provide himself a lamb for our redemption. So the first, this, this Jehovah Jireh, this covenant name, the first one beginning with Jehovah Jireh, the first covenant name, not just a descriptive name, but a covenant name, was in the context of our redemption from sin. Okay? Now, in Exodus we found the name Jehovah Rophi, which introduces us to the Jehovah who heals life's wounds and sweetens its bitter experiences, as pictured in the healing of the bitter waters at Marah. So they had, they had experienced Jehovah Jireh, the Redeemer, but now they experienced Jehovah Rophi, the healer, and what did he heal from or heal of? He healed of the bitter experiences life gives all of us. Anybody in here ever had a bitter experience in life? Let me see your hands. Everybody. Of course we have. Now, as I often say, it's not what happens to you that is most important. It's what you do with what happens. Do you take the bitter waters to Jehovah Rophi and allow him to heal your embittered, hurt, shattered life and heart? And if you'll go to him with it, he will. If you don't go to him, you walk around as what I call a wounded walker. Everywhere you walk, you're wounded. And God doesn't want us living that way. He wants us healed. Amen? Now then came, next, in succession, the revelation of God as Jehovah Nissi at Rephidim, where Amalek, the bitter enemy of Israel, fought against them. It was here where God was revealed as the banner over his people in that holy warfare which all of God's people must wage both within ourselves and without in a world hostile to God. Remember, they're a picture. Israel is a physical picture of New Testament spiritual truth. After they had been redeemed, after they had been healed from the bitter waters, and they were marching towards the promised land, they ran into an enemy that wanted to stop them from inheriting the promises. And they overcame as long as that rod of Moses was held up in the air representing God's authority. As long as it was lifted up, they won the battle. And the picture to us, of course, as long as we lift up Jesus and make him preeminent, we will win our spiritual battles. That's the picture. Praise God. Now, tonight, we come to Leviticus in the fourth covenant name. 
And Leviticus is the book of life. The book of Leviticus is all about the walk and the worship of a people already redeemed. Leviticus is focused on the holiness of God's people. Now I've got to tell you the truth. I'm going to be honest with you about what happened in my head every time I used to hear the word holy. I used to think it meant no fun, Dullsville, uh, impossible, and uh, uh, that it produced weird people. That when you, when you went somewhere and you heard a lot about holiness, that, that you ran into, into weird people, not normal people. Because normal people, I used to think, aren't holy. They're normal. And normal is sometimes better than spiritual weird. Are y'all out there? <laughs> you know what I mean by kind of strange people in church? There, there's, some, there's some strange ones in church. Of course, some of them look at us and go, they're strange. And I used to look strange. No kidding. Long hair, parted down the middle, wire rim glasses, 130 pounds, soaking wet. I looked weird. And so I know what it's like to, to look. And, but, you know, when I heard the word holy, I used to think, eh, you know, that just doesn't sound uh, uh, realistic to me. But that was way before I understood the Word of God and what holiness really means. It doesn't mean straight-laced, boring, no fun, no good times, no laughter, furrowed brow all the time, real religious, straight-laced, never doing anything, never really living life. That is not what it means. Holiness actually releases you to live real life. So let me just show you what I mean about holy. So the book of Leviticus is all about sanctification. And sanctification is all about holiness. Now, let me define sanctification for you so we can be sure we understand each other. Sanctification means to make or pronounce one clean. To dedicate, consecrate, purify, set apart for holy use. Sanctified means set apart. Now, watch this. Paul's prayer for the church. Let's just look at one verse. Paul's prayer for the church was this, quote, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here you have an incredible verse for two reasons. It talks about God's plan for our sanctification and it confirms the fact that we are three parts. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. We are not ego, super ego, and id. As Freud liked to parse the human person. But we are body, soul, which is suke, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and we are spirit. There it is in the Bible. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, why does that matter? Because you got to, how can God fix you if you don't even understand how you're put together? And this tells us that, that our body is temporary. The Bible tells us that. It's just a tent. Paul talked about, I'm, I'm, or Peter did, I'm about to put off this earthly tent, and I'm about to go to heaven. It's a tent. It's a temporary hotel. 
We, we're only here for a season in our bodies. But the Spirit is that which is eternal. All right? Now, I want you all to hear me well on this because this verse needs to be understood by the whole world. Because if you don't understand this verse, you don't understand that you're eternal. If you don't understand you're eternal, you're not concerned about your eternal soul. Jesus came to shed his blood to redeem your spirit. It's going to go into eternity. Now, let me just, let me just inform you of something tonight. Your eternity has already begun. Eternity for you and me doesn't begin when we die. Our eternal life, if we're in Christ, it's already begun. We're all, I mean, all that's going to happen one day is the body will die. But the eternal life has already begun because you've got an eternal spirit in you that has already been quickened by God. And we've already had a foretaste of what is coming. The spirit of God, the power of God, the love of God. And one day these mortal bodies will be swallowed up in life, but eternal life has already begun. The spirit that's in you now will be here trillions of years from now. It's one of those things I can't wrap my mind around, but I know that it's true because the Word tells me so. Amen. So we ought to be, we ought to be enjoying some of that eternal life in our everyday life. That's why you ought to have joy. You ought to have love. You ought to have peace. These are part and parcel of what are coming in their fullness when the body dies. But eternal life has already begun. Let it sink in. I I feel the wheels going. It's true. All right? And I hear some of you, well, I hope it gets better than this. Oh, it will. It will. But we've got to understand, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is among you, and the kingdom of God is within you. That's what he said. So we ought to be enjoying at least a part of our inheritance in this lifetime. This lifetime should not be hanging on by the skin of your chinny-chin-chin till somehow you scrape and claw your way into heaven. We ought to be enjoying some eternal life right now. All right? Now, the Bible teaches that once the forgiveness of sin has been accomplished, sanctification should follow. There is no sanctification before forgiveness. First there's forgiveness, then there is sanctification. The book of of, uh, Leviticus therefore sets forth the pattern for a people already redeemed. In Leviticus, they've already crossed the sea. They're in the wilderness. They're headed to the promised land. They have already, as it were, been covered by the blood. They were delivered by the blood over the doorpost. They're already redeemed. So Leviticus is all about how they should walk worthy of their calling. And that's why Leviticus matters to you and me. There's probably no other name more truly expressive of Jehovah and his requirements of his people than this name Jehovah Mekedesh, Jehovah who sanctifies. Now I want to ask, how many of you in here tonight are redeemed? You're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, okay? All right, then you are right now in the process of being sanctified by God. 
One of the reasons the Holy Spirit came into you is to sanctify you. The primary meaning of sanctification is to set apart or to separate. In fact, the word holy literally means to set apart. That's what holy means. It doesn't mean no good times. It means to set apart. It doesn't mean no life. It means to set apart. It doesn't mean boring. It means to be set apart. This idea of setting apart is everywhere in Scripture. God sanctified or set apart the Sabbath. It's supposed to be set apart to God. It's holy. All right? The great feasts and fasts of Israel were especially set apart and celebrated by holy gatherings of the people. The word sanctify was also applied to places. The camp of Israel, the hill of Zion, the city of Jerusalem, the altar, the tabernacle, the temple, all were set apart for God. So they were holy. The word that was used for both the tabernacle and the temple is mikdash. Hebrew word mikdash. And guess what that's drawn from? It's drawn from the name Makedesh, from which we get sanctuary. So the place set apart for the special presence and worship of Jehovah, who sanctifies, is the sanctuary. The sanctuary is supposed to be sanctified. That's why when we get into that new building, we're going to anoint it with oil everywhere and sanctify it to God. It's set apart for Him. It's not for common usage. The Holy Land itself is a land set apart. Now, how many of you have in your house a, a set of china? Let me see. You've got some china. All right. Now, let me just talk to you about china. China is your, your holy utensils. Because notice, you don't have your china next to your normal plates where the kids are going to grab a, a, one of those china plates when they're going to have a hot dog and potato chips and sit down and watch movies on a Friday night where they might be walking them across the kitchen floor and oops, drop one. Uh-uh. The china is not put next to the average run-of-the-mill plates. The china is set aside for special use. And you probably got it in a china cabinet, a cabinet made just for the china. And there it sits. And you know why it sits there and almost is never used? And the only time you pull it out is when somebody important comes over who you want to impress. And you pull out that china and you bedeck that table with the china and the fancy silverware and the beautiful glasses. You get it ready for important guests. When they're gone and you're back down to average, up goes the china into the cabinet again. You know why? Because it's holy. It's set apart for special use. Are you following me? You are God's China. He doesn't want you out there with the normal run of the mill. He doesn't want you rubbing elbows with the world. He doesn't want you walking like the world, talking like the world, running with the world, acting like the world, because you are in a China cabinet of sanctification. And so he takes you out when he wants to show his glory. That's the idea of the church and of Israel. That was the idea in the mind of God. 
The word is also used to set apart persons. The word sanctification or holy. Individuals were set apart from birth or even before birth. For instance, Jeremiah was sanctified to Jehovah's service as a prophet to the nations. Listen to what the Bible says, Jeremiah 1 verse 5. God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now I'm going to tell you, only God can say that. Before you were even born, I knew you. Well, how can you know me before I'm even born? Because to God, there is no time. He can go back a million years and be there. He can go forward a million years and be there. And so when you were born, you, he already knew you. As your character and personality developed, the way you were going to look, the way you were going to think, your giftings, your abilities, God knew all of that. God never says, well, I'll be. And he never says, oops. The devil will tell you that you're an oops. But ain't nobody an oops. You're all intentional. All right? And before you were born, God saw you. And and I'm going to just drop a bomb on you tonight. Before you were born, he called you. You were chosen in him before the foundations of the world were laid. Ephesians chapter 1. Chosen in him before he said, let there be light. Saying, Pastor Jeff, that's too much for my brain. It is too much. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Only God can do this. We serve a mighty God. We don't serve a contrived God. We don't, con- uh, we don't serve a made-up God. We don't serve a, a mythological God, a fable. We serve a real, live God who knows the end from the beginning. And so, can you believe with me tonight that when God saved you, He already knew that you were going to be set apart, and now He has you set apart for His purposes. You talk about something that gives life meaning. I cannot imagine living life believing that evolution produced me and that I'm just a a lucky happenstance of an evolutionary process. And there's no meaning, no ultimate purpose, no nothing. If you want to talk about depression and suicidal thoughts and, and a sense of purposelessness and what does anything matter for anyway, why does it even matter? Why should I even care if that's what I'm all about? No wonder we've got a whole generation of nihilistic, negative, self-destructive people. If you tell them you're the, you're the result of evolution, there's no meaning, no purpose, no design, no maker. You're just lucky to be here. No wonder they throw their lives away. But if I let you know that God formed you in your mother's womb, that before you were born and your first cry split the night, God sets you apart. And you getting saved was only a part of the process. God already knew you were coming. Already knew you were going to be saved. And so there is a grand design for you and a purpose. And that ought to get you excited. Are you excited about that? There is a purpose for you. Amen.
Now, this, this whole notion of sanctification is all through the Word. A couple of uh, quick examples. The firstborn of Israel were commanded of God to be set apart, the firstborn. Upon the head of the high priest, as the crowning mark of his high office, was written holiness, kodesh, taken from the word makedesh, holiness to Jehovah. Every high priest set apart for God. And not only the priesthood, but all the people were sanctified or set apart to Jehovah. You can read about it in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. All the people were set aside. All of them set apart. They were all God's china. The point with all these examples is that where God chooses to dwell and what God chooses to use must be set apart or sanctified. Our God is, set, is, our God is apart from and above all else in the universe. That's our God. Now let's understand a little bit about the God we serve. Look what it says about him. Jehovah, he is God, and there is none beside him. And the first book of Samuel says, there is none, what everybody, holy as Jehovah, for there is none beside you. So God is separate from the dirt and the sin and the filth and the darkness of this world. He's separated utterly, totally separated from it. Okay? The most fundamental, the most solemn, and the most impressive of all the attributes of God is His holiness. And the book of Leviticus is all about how to approach a holy God. Look what he says in Leviticus 11, verse 44. For I, Jehovah your God, am what, everyone? Holy. I, Jehovah, the Lord your God, I'm holy. He's, he's letting us know something about Him as I've told you often, we would never discover on our own. If he didn't tell us about it, we'd never know it. God is not discovered. God is revealed. His word tells us that he's holy. We'd have never known that. He is utterly holy. He is consummately holy. When Isaiah experienced his vision of God following King Uzziah's death, his description of him was, quote, read it with me, holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of hosts. That's all he could say coming away from a vision of God. Holy, 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 holy. Even after or ever after that vision, Isaiah would describe God as the Holy One of Israel. The Spirit of God who dwells within you is called what kind of spirit? The Holy Spirit. And David pleaded with God Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Listen to what one Swiss preacher wrote. I really like this. He says, The most striking, uh, striking feature in Swiss scenery, the glory and the boast of Switzerland, is the vision of its mighty mountain peaks, clothed ever in their mantles of snowy white. Most striking thing about Switzerland. He says, You take the mountains away, and you have destroyed the beauty of Switzerland. And in much the same way, you destroy the beauty of the Lord if you forget His holiness. We need to lift our eyes to these shining and snow-clad peaks of the divine holiness if we're ever to be moved to say how beautiful God is. He's holy. And He put a Holy Spirit in you and me. And guess what? He's called you and me to be holy. 
set apart. The holiness of God was the first truth Israel learned about Jehovah. The Ten Commandments given through Moses were intended to impress upon his people the truth of the holiness of their Jehovah. God has declared, among those who approach me, I will show myself, what everyone, holy. If you approach God, you're going to encounter his holiness. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. What does all of this have to do with the Christian? What does this even matter if God's holy? How's it? What does it matter to you and me? Because it's the glory and the beauty of his holiness that God wishes to impart to us. This is why David prayed. Can we read it together? Let the beauty of Jehovah our God be upon us. How many of you can say, Pastor Jeff, I believe that God has got a purpose for my life, that God has a will for my life. I believe I'm in, I'm in something God is doing, and there's a purpose for me. Let me see your hands. All right, all right, then if that be true, and that was almost everybody in here, that being true, we have first been called to sanctification. God cannot use a vessel that is not sanctified. He just can't do it, and he won't do it. Peter tells us that we are made partakers of the divine nature. And what's the divine nature? It's holiness. Through great and precious promises made to us, Peter says, it is God's desire that the man whom he made in his own image, who corrupted that image through sin, should be restored to that image, which is righteousness and true holiness, that we would put on that new man, which is after God. And so who is God to us? Well, he's Jehovah Rophi, our healer. He's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He's Jehovah Nissi, our banner. But he's also Jehovah Makedesh, the God who will sanctify you and me, body, soul, and spirit. Set all three apart. This is why God spoke to his people through Moses saying, Speak to the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Jehovah your God, am holy. It all comes down to this. A holy God demands holiness, or what we could call set-apartness. Set-apartness. He requires that and demands of it, or demands it in his people. A God who is separate from all that is evil requires that the people he chooses be also separate from all evil and separated to the purpose for which he chose them. And this is sanctification. And what is the promise? My God is going to sanctify you body, soul, and spirit. And this is where the conflict comes in. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we live in a totally filthy, dirty, ungodly, unsanctified, wicked world. And yet we are children of light in a world of darkness. And when we get saved, a Holy Spirit came to live inside of us. And what does he immediately begin to do? Separate us. So he says, you know, those friends you've been hanging around with, that's got to go. So those habits, they got to go. Say, but Lord, if all that's gone, I'm not going to enjoy life. Ah, but you can't enjoy real life until you're sanctified because you're not going to be full of the Holy Spirit, which is life. You're not going to know the Lord or walk with the Lord until you're sanctified. 
So, it is to be separated from in order to be separated unto. It's not just don't do this or that, but it's don't do this or that so you can do this or that. I'm separating you from so I can separate you unto. That's why when somebody tells me I'm trying to kick a bad habit, I say, what are you going to replace it with? Oh, I'm nothing. I'm just going to kick the habit. Well, you're going to fail because you're going to have to replace it with something. You're going to have to get into the Word and get into prayer and get a holy addiction or that addiction is going to come back and bite you. God takes us out of so that He can take us into. All right? That's sanctification. God's people were instructed to have no other gods but Himself. For we become like the gods we serve. The psalmist wrote, They that make them, that is, idols, are just like them. You ever seen these teenagers ever, and ever notice? And think back to your days when uh, the rock and roll... Uh, the rock and roll stars were your heroes and really your gods, and they love being God. You ever notice how if you really get into a certain group, you look at the ones who follow them and love them and love their music, they start looking like them, talking like them, thinking like them, acting like them. They become just like them because you will worship something, and whatever you worship, you will become like. All right? So God says, no other idols or no other gods before me. Furthermore, God's people were to be apart, separated from all the peoples around them in order to avoid the contagion of their corruption. So God said, don't you intermingle, don't intermarry with them. What fellowship has light with darkness, Paul asked. So if you're a believer and you're dating an unbeliever and you think you're going to marry them and convert them, can I give you free counsel before you're spending thousands on it later? Get out. You have no guarantee they'll ever be saved. Amen. Pastor Jeff, praise God. See, some of you got into all the trouble you're in because you were running around with somebody that wasn't godly. That's sanctification, part of it. All the ceremonies, institutions, social and spiritual structure of Israel, the prohibitions of certain foods and of intermarriage, were all designed to insulate them from the rest of mankind that they might be the best possible instrument for God's purpose possible. To be God's peculiar treasure and the instrument of His holy purpose was Israel's grand destiny. And now it's the church's destiny. Praise God. Now, how do we experience sanctification? Well, let me look at it a little bit further now. The term sanctified or separated means more than relationship with Jehovah. It also entails participation in His nature. To be separate and apart from evil and wickedness is not merely to be negative, it's also to be good. Holiness is positive and it's active. It is not just thou shalt not, but it's also thou shalt. We are to be holy in practice. Holiness is a verb, not just an adjective that describes something. It's something we are to live out in our daily lives. God says to us, sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy. So, do you hear in there that if we're going to walk in sanctification and holiness, we've got to cooperate with God? Now, how many of you can admit in the last uh, month there, there has been a battle over you walking in holiness? Let me see your hands. 
the rest of you, what planet were you on? I want to know. Do you see what I'm saying? Our world constantly contests our holiness or our set-apartness. But we've got to cooperate with God and say, yes, Lord, I hear the call to sanctification, so I will sanctify myself because I'm China. I'm not a paper plate, and I'm not a styrofoam cup. God has declared us righteous and holy through the shed blood of Christ, but we are to sanctify ourselves in daily life. In other words, because of free will, we've got to cooperate with God's call to holiness. And sometimes it is not easy. Now let's just look at what it really comes down to now, Jehovah Makedesh and Jesus. What Jehovah was to his people in the Old Testament, the God who sanctified, the Lord Jesus Christ is to us in the New Testament. He's Jesus who sanctifies. Jesus set himself apart entirely unto God as the Son who had come to do his will. It says in Hebrews, Lo, I come as it is written in the volume of the book to do your will, O God. That's why Jesus came. He became our sanctification. Listen to the writer of Hebrews, quote, We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And by this offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. So God declares us sanctified, but then we are to live our daily lives out, cooperating with that call and obeying the Holy Spirit and obeying the Scriptures in a sanctified life. You know, I'm going to tell you how to tell somebody who is mature and somebody who's not. You say to me, you're a Christian, and I'm going to find out real quick how strong that commitment is when I ask you this one question. Are you submitted to this word? Are you submitted to it? Because it's this word that's going to take you into sanctification and the Holy Spirit living in you. But you say to me, I love Jesus, and I'm a Christian, and here's my one question. Are you submitted to this word, even when it hurts, even when it inconveniences you, even when it stings, even when it requires sacrifice, even when you have got to struggle hard to obey it? Are you submitted to this word? Because if you're not, if you're not, he may be your Savior, but he's not your Lord. Now, I know that's a hard word, but I'll tell you what, I get tired, I get weary of greasy grace and sloppy agape. And people come and they say, oh yeah, I love the Lord, I praise God, I'm a Christian. And then I look at them, they're not obeying the word in their life. And so I've just come to understand Show me a man who will bow his knee, not just to this word, but the God of the word. He'll bow his knee and say, I submit. Then I show you a man that's going to bear fruit. You show me a woman who will say, it doesn't feel good. It's difficult. Everything in me wants to rebel, but I love him more than I love my own will. And she bows her knee to the word and to the God of this word. And I'll show you a woman who's going to be sanctified and bear fruit. Say to me, you believe in him and you're a Christian and you don't bow to the God of this word 
or obey this word? Can I tell you what John said? You're a liar. You may be a self-deceived liar, but you're lying. And our generation has an incredible ability to walk in denial. So Pastor Jeff, man, I didn't, this isn't blessing me. Move on with McKettish. This is McKettish. This is McKettish. Is it, do I do it perfectly? No, but I, I do it genuinely. And anytime I haven't done it, catastrophe. And it's the same with you. I know that's hard to hear, but it's good preaching. And I tell you what, you'd have to go far and wide to hear this in our country. All right, now what Israel, what Israel was meant to be nationally, we also are to be as a church and personally. Peter even quoted the very words of Leviticus to the church. He said in 1 Peter 1 verse 15, But as he who has called you is holy, so you be also in all manner of what? Living. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. That's New Testament. Peter wrote it. Now, listen to Ephesians. Paul says, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be what, everyone? Holy, set apart and without blame before him in love. Paul told Timothy that our calling is a holy one. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who, that is God, has saved us and called us with a holy calling. All right? Now, how does New Testament sanctification uh, take place? Let's just finish out with, well, you're talking about sanctification. How do I experience it? Here's how you experience it. First, by the word of his truth. That's how you get sanctified. Jesus prayed, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So as I was just sharing with you, you want to be sanctified? Bow your knee to the word of God. All right? The second way we're sanctified is by Jesus' example. Jesus confessed in John 17, For their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through your truth. You parents, you sanctify yourself. If you can't do it for you, do it for the kiddos. Jesus said, because of those who are following me, I sanctify myself. It gives you an incentive. Somebody needs you to make it in God. All right? Third, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are sanctified. Listen to Romans 8, 13. But if I by the Spirit do put to death the sinful deeds of the body, I will live and I will be sanctified. Again and again, we're exhorted to live sanctified lives. Our bodies are to be presented a living sacrifice, holy to God and acceptable, Romans 12 says. Contrasting their former lifestyles with their new ones, Paul writes, such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, set apart in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Even the chastenings of the Lord are to this end that we might be partakers of His holiness. That, quote, holiness without which no man will see the Lord. 
As soon as you begin to walk a sanctified life, you begin to have revelations of God. Because you're not going to see the Lord without holiness. And holiness is sanctification. Only the pure in heart can see God. It is the Christian's destiny to be presented holy and spotless to the Lord. Paul wrote, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy and without blemish. I know that this is a strong teaching tonight. I know that it is. We don't hear this often. And as a pastor, I'm grieved over that. I think if a pastor doesn't teach these things, he's not a pastor. He's not a pastor. Because this is where the people live. That Holy Spirit that came to live inside of you is struggling all the time to bring you and me into sanctification and holiness. And if I don't teach you how to do that, then I'm failing you. So I could get up here and talk to you about how to be a big success and make a lot of money. That's not my calling. My calling is to teach you to walk with God. And, and I don't want you to be in constant conflict with the Holy Ghost. He's come to make you sanctified, set you apart. And if you do, you're going to bring forth much fruit. Can we stand together? And I want us to read this as we close. Can we read it out loud? And I want you to preach it to me, okay? All right. All right. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together, can we? Father, we just thank you tonight that you have called us to holiness, which means to be set apart to you, Lord, just to be set apart. Your people are your China, set aside for special use, for holy use. And Lord, I just pray that you will sanctify this congregation, sanctify this church, and help us, Lord, to be full of light, truth, love, and that we would shine into this world of darkness to those who are in chains and bondage and give a true testimony of the God, Jehovah Makedesh, he who sanctifies, who is among us. And Lord, we thank you for that calling and for your hand upon us tonight. Now, before we close, would you take a moment to say, Lord, if there's anything I need to present to you, anything I need to turn over to you, yield to you, release to you, so that you can take me out to lead me in. Show me, and I'll do it. In Jesus' name, take a minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.